0: hey now we are getting over and i am the silver king adam silverstein here to lead you through these hard times with the latest wwe edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast isn't this the money in the bank edition no riddle we are not there yet still a week away from the money in the bank ultimate preview edition of the getting over wrestling podcast but this week We are here to discuss everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw as WWE continues to build towards its next premium live event. We have an absolute ton to discuss on the show. Nothing bigger than our main event today covering everything that transpired with the bloodline on Friday night. So let's not waste any further time getting to it. Right off the top, allow me to remind you that this podcast is all about So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify. Leave the five-star ratings. You can comment on individual episodes. Let everyone know what you think of the program. We would love to hear from you. Speaking of five-star reviews, we have a new one that came in from Joe from Tom's River. Headline, best review podcast out there. Five stars. He says, my review title is the 100% truth, but there is one thing I would recommend when doing show reviews. I don't think a move-by-move recap of every single match is necessary. Every match story and outcome is important, but not every mover spot needs to be referenced. All right, Joe, I appreciate the review. I also appreciate the constructive criticism. I hope you all have noticed we've been trying to cut that down in these breakdowns, but there are a number of listeners who have reached out to us saying, I listen to the show because I don't watch TV, and the way you guys break down matches helps me decide which ones to watch each week. So it's a really fine line that we have to walk of saying too much versus saying too little, but I will definitely, Joe, keep that in mind and try to trim down even more. Nevertheless, for that five-star review... Acknowledge! Acknowledge! Big acknowledgement Acknowledge. right there! Acknowledge! And, and let me also remind you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, analysis, all that good stuff. Also. I happen to love the number five. And for just $5 a month, you can become an official getting overhead. More importantly than anything else, you're supporting the podcast financially. But you also get bonus audio, news posts, and more. get it at buymeacoffee.com slash over Speaking of that, we have three brand new getting overheads this week. So I want to give shouts out to Tough Doc. Sorry, you didn't put a name on your thing. Charles, who's a new annual member and Fernando E. for all three of you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. All right, Chris. Plenty of acknowledgements today across the getting over universe, for lack of a better term. We don't necessarily have anything to refer to our fan base at large. It is now time to welcome you to the show. And, Chris, you know, first of all, is there anything you want to say about anything that I just discussed?
1: No, just really appreciate all the support every week. I'm glad we shout out these people who give us the reviews, who sign up for Buy Me A Coffee. You've got good stuff uh, on there after every major show, some uh, news, some spoilers, some stuff. So uh, if you're into that stuff, there's good stuff. And we're trying to give you guys more and in different ways. As always, we appreciate all the feedback.
0: That was a very Roman Roy uh, pitch. If you're into good stuff, we got good stuff. (laughs) That was perfect right there. Um, Chris, this is the second week in a row moving over to wrestling now that I've thought SmackDown was pedestrian, if not disappointing, save for the bloodline main event. It's like they put so much time and energy into the bloodline that they have nothing else like left in their brains for the rest of SmackDown. Meanwhile, you move over to Raw on Monday night. I think it hit on every possible cylinder. I thought it was legitimately one of the most exciting, perhaps one of the best TV episodes of the entire year. And look, these shows tend to go back and forth sometimes, right? We'll be really into Raw. Then a couple months later, we'll be really into SmackDown. But right now, Raw is my preferred weekly program over the last couple months, I think. And it doesn't even have the biggest storyline in the company.
1: See, to me, it's still... Smackdown and just a big part of it remains being a two hour show. Like there can be some really good stuff on Raw, but more often than not, just because of the sheer length of it and because it's kind of during the work week, it just still feels like a lot. Smackdown is like, hey, I missed it live. I can go back and watch it. I can skip the commercials. I can get the whole thing done in an hour and a half or less. And there's going to be a big bloodline thing that takes up like a third of that. And so it feels like, all right, like I got some good stuff. It didn't take up too much time. And I I still feel like that with SmackDown, but you're right outside of the bloodline. Not a lot of interesting stuff going on. Raw has a lot of good stuff. It also has a lot of not that great stuff, but it's just because it's longer. So it does kind of fluctuate week to week. I would agree on that.
0: All right, Chris. Well, look, we have a ton to talk about for WWE this week. We have absolutely jam-packed main event and the good the bad and the ugly may be our longest ever because the main event is a single topic and so much happened on raw that we have to discuss we have to put it in a different segment so there is unlikely to be a last word i do have one kind of scheduled here but if we run out of time we're going to run out of time chris let's not waste any more of it let's begin this shindig as we always do by sliding into the main event So this is, of course, is going to transverse everything that happened on SmackDown regarding the bloodline and Jay Uso making his ultimate decision. The bloodline minus the Usos pulled up to start SmackDown with Paul Heyman, ignoring Caleb Braxton's questions. Reigns in his locker room was sitting there with all three titles. Yes, really? All three titles. Telling Heyman that he had not spoken to Jay Uso. Then he directed Paul to go find Jay. Heyman apologized to Jay for how last week transpired, but he claimed that Jimmy's superkick was intentional because he was jealous of him. Jay reiterated that if he decides to stay in the bloodline, Paul will be on the outs. Reigns was later disappointed in Heyman with Solo Sokoa asking if Roman wanted him to handle the situation. And then on his way to the ring, Jay walked by Sami Zayn with them exchanging a knowing glance. Now, normally the build to the bloodline main event segment, it's worth talking about. There's so many different elements that you just have opinions on all of them individually, But I actually have little to say from this storytelling, as it was probably the most obvious example that we've gotten of dragging something out over a single show without it actually benefiting the storyline. It was just nothing over and over again. Really, the only notable part was the Jay and Sammy interaction, Jay getting the nod from Sammy, who gave him the confidence he needed because he knew what needed to be done. We obviously saw that play out later. I thought that was really smart. But besides that, my only take Chris is I cannot fucking believe they're using all three of these titles. (laughs) I mean, I can believe it. So maybe that's the wrong turn of phrase to use, but it's a joke. Like what the hell was the point of debuting the undisputed title? If they're just going to display and have Heyman carry around the others, if you want to take the other two and put them in a glass case, so that they're in the Bloodline locker room and you're reminded of what the Undisputed title represents, I'd be 1,000% fine with that. But Heyman carrying them to the ring? What does the Undisputed title represent if the other two are still being featured? Why does Asuka have one that looks exactly like it? We said this when they revealed it. The look of two titles is just cooler. So if they liked that look, then just hold off on debuting the new one until someone actually unifies them that's really the point of the entire thing now look you may find this nitpicking but guess what this is my show my show and i told you i'd get that sound drop out of all the stuff wwe has done better as of late this is just not one of them chris
1: This is what I talked about last week. I I said this is probably going to happen. We we were going to get three belts. So technically, there are four WWE Men's World Championship belts out there right now. Roman has three of them. One of them is supposed to represent two of them. Look, when they revealed the belt, I said... What is Paul Heyman going to do? Paul Heyman's whole thing is carrying one or two belts and he does it very well. If Roman has a belt, there's nothing for him to do. So I guess the answer is just keep the belts on Paul Heyman. It's this goes back to what we said last week as well. It's not even an undisputed title anymore because Seth Rollins has one. So it's just every week they're adding more and more just like nonsense to this. When the whole idea was to simplify it, they've made it more complicated. And yeah. When Rowan loses, I'm assuming we're going to get rid of the other two and it'll just be one belt on a person. But why do you have to do that now? Did they want did they just want the belt to be part of the 1000 day thing? Like, I I, I don't know what the plan was here. And my only thought is that it kind of looks like boxing now. Like when you see someone <laughs> come out and, he, and he's got like four or five belts and you don't want any of them don't
0: matter. You recognize the WBC, but the other ones you're just like, what is this one? Yeah, yeah.
1: That's basically what it's like now. So I'm glad we got that out of the way at the beginning of the show. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. Like pick something and do it. You can't pick all of the options here. And so it's extremely weird, but yes, look nothing really happened up until the end of the show with the bloodline story. But like, that's fine. Like you're, you're previewing. Hey, we're coming up later with the big thing at the end of the show. Here's we're checking in throughout the show. So like, I was totally fine with it. My
0: issue with it was just Chris, you keep going back to these segments and if they're actually not doing anything, then that's time you're taking away from the rest of the talent on the show. And, you know, we talked about this back during the pandemic. We're like, there was an episode, I forgot what it was, but it was like two thirds bloodline. And, and almost no one else was on the show. And that was okay because everything that happened with the bloodline in that episode mattered. But here, if you're just putting them on the screen, just to put them on the screen, then you're actively hurting the rest of your storytelling and booking. And there were definitely segments on this episode that they could have cut out or merged together or just done a little bit differently to save those two, four, six, eight extra minutes that guess what could go to these matches. where you were giving us two, four or six minutes themselves which instead could be six, eight or ten and sort of, wrestling on their TV.
1: Well, but it's also like, look, SmackDown is a one storyline show kind of right now. It's the biggest story in wrestling. It has been for a while. You want to keep people around to be like, hey, we got a bloodline, little segment coming up or we'll coming to it later, as opposed to just some of those episodes where you don't see anything or hear from them until they show up at the end of the show. Like I from a, like a business perspective, like keep them there because you've got a bloodline thing popping up. I Again, I was fine with it. You wanted more spread out to other people. That's totally fair, too.
0: All right. Fair enough. And what did you think about my take on, uh, hey, if you want to display the titles, put them in a case, leave them in the locker room?
1: That's a good idea. That's that's, honestly, that's a good solution to probably do that because you have wrestlers give speeches from their homes and they've got old belts behind them, too. Like, I, I think that's a great idea.
0: Okay, cool. Anyway, let's get to the Jay Uso decision. I know that's what all of you want us to talk about. So, Jay, still wearing white, interrupts Roman and in solo, still, of course, in black. And Jay is basically telling Reigns to decide between himself and Haman. Reigns said Jay can pick his own wise man when he's tribal chief, but Haman is there to help Roman as the leader. He said Jay is supposed to be the one to continue the bloodline after him. And they have spent three years grooming him for this role. Roman said the problem isn't Paul, but Jimmy. And they may be inseparable as twins, but it's true. Jimmy is the issue. So Jimmy shows up, also in white, saying Roman was using Jay, and there's no way that Jay could believe his shit. I just want to state I love the visual dichotomy between the white and black gear for the Usos and then Roman and Solo. Very smart touch. Reigns laughed, saying the Usos couldn't even get on WrestleMania before he kind of took them under his wing, but now they've been on all of them. He said Jimmy is dragging Jay down and that he can't be a future tribal chief and have a twin simultaneously. Reigns asked Haman who was the one person that had a problem when Jay was named right-hand man. Roman said Paul suggested it, so it wasn't him. And then Paul pointed to Jimmy as the hater. So Jay stared down Jimmy, who confirmed that what they said was true. Jay went off on his brother. He broke the fourth wall, calling him Joshua. He said... Jimmy's always been the one who got praise and love and tried to run shit between them as kids. He yelled about stepping up when Jimmy went down with injury, main eventing shows, etc., saying it was all because of Roman that he was able to do those things. Then he said, you out to Jimmy, suggesting he's out of the bloodline. Roman and Paul are behind Jay, celebrating, smiling, cackling to each other, only for Jay to turn and say, and I'm out too, before super kicking Roman's head, clean off his body, solo, Ate three super kicks, then Roman started pounding the canvas and stood only to eat another double super kick to end the show. And Chris, I got to tell you, my very first thought coming out of this was, I cannot believe they did this on free television in <laughs> Lexington, fricking Kentucky. Lexington was great. You no hit on. You them. mean
1: the crowd? You popped. mean the University of Kentucky?
0: Yeah, sure, fine. At the University of Kentucky, <laughs> out of all the venues that they could have chosen for this. Moment They chose the University of Kentucky Arena. Was it Rupp Arena? Yeah. They chose Rupp Arena. Um, A bigger venue, a bigger event. The crowd may have straight up broken the microphones. I mean, this was akin to Sammy turning on Roman Reigns. That happened at the Royal Rumble. This is happening at Rupp Arena on a random SmackDown. But look, other than that, this was fucking fantastic. Okay. Grand slam home run. Michael Cole even had a great punctuation to end the show. Roman's empire has crumbled at two, Jay. This is one of those situations where I don't think I really need to explain why this was so amazing. I mean, I'm probably going to anyway as I keep talking here, but you all saw it. You all know. It's become a joke at this point to say this, but you say it all the time, Chris. This was indeed cinema. Reigns and Haman and Jimmy and Solo, they were all good. But holy shit, Jay. The emotion that he expressed, not just... With his words, but the brash tone of his voice, the urgency with which he was pacing the ring, the way he spoke with reverence about Reigns and then disgust when looking at Jimmy, only to turn the entire thing on a dime and pull the damn trigger, putting the final nail in the coffin of the bloodline. Hell, think back to the glance that Jay gave Sammy when he was walking to the ring. He knew then. He allowed Roman to think he was manipulating him in the moment, despite always knowing in the back of his mind that, how this segment was going to end. But that's the creative portion of it. The fact that Jay was able to emote and express it, both verbally and non-verbally, it's incredible stuff. Expert level, perfection achieved. This was one of those truly unforgettable TV moments. You remember Mick Foley winning the WWF championship. You remember the Undertaker-Triple-H double return confrontation. You remember Goldberg beating Hulk Hogan for the WCW championship on Nitro. And you bet your ass you are going to remember Jay Uso pulling the damn trigger on Roman Reigns. Kudos to everyone involved here.
1: Have you seen the pictures that WWE put out of this on their, on their photo album from every show? Mm-hmm. The photos are so good. They nailed the exact moment for all of them. Like, cinema, like those are photos you could like win awards with or like sports photos or something like that. <laughs> They're very good. You texted me after this segment uh, or after I, I didn't see it live. I had to go back and watch it uh, after I got home from watching The Flash that night and I watched it and you texted me about it. And the be, the, the the end point was memorable beyond belief. Like you said, we're going to remember that and I'm out too. Boom! Like they nailed that. The build up to that moment, a little iffy for me. First off, fans are standing for that entire main event, like mm-hmm. at the very beginning. Like that just goes to show like how into this everybody is. They're just they're standing for a promo segment. They're just they're there. But when rope when they bring up the point saying Jimmy didn't want you to be right hand man and Paul did, and Jay that like kind of sets Jay off and he says, is it true? And I'm like, what? What do, you, what do you mean? Is it true. We went through this three years ago. It was all like, we know this. This isn't, why is Jay suddenly like upset by this? And then he's, he's kind of going on. Can I the crowd was kind
0: of before you continue. What, yeah. The explanation for that is that it was a conversation between them off screen and Jimmy did not approve of it. And Roman did it anyway. We knew that Jimmy was trying to get Jay away from Roman in like in front of us. What we saw, but we never knew that Reigns was going to anoint him his successor, and that right. Jimmy actively said no. We, I don't think you should do that.
1: Okay, so you're talking about the thing from last week.
0: Yes, dating. Well, not not from last week. I'm not saying that Jimmy gave his disapproval in the last week because Jimmy hasn't been talking to Roman one would presume because he super kicked them in the face, you know, they kept, yeah. But, they, but I'm talking about back in the day. So, you know, right. That's Jay, what I'm talking about. Too. Jay was the right hand. Yeah. Jay was the right hand man. And we all yeah. knew that, but that was a
1: whole, that was a whole storyline that Jimmy but, didn't want correct. him to do that. And yeah, oh, so what, like,
0: what we didn't know was that right hand man meant to them next tribal chief. What they were talking about here was that, that, that they decided to appoint, Jay as Roman's successor, they're calling it right hand man, but right now explaining what that meant. And when that conversation happened, Jimmy was the one that said, "No, he does. He's not good for that. He's not ready for it." So on and so forth. That presumably happened off screen. Is what I'm. I,
1: right. I'm just saying, like it was weird to bring up something from years ago that we kind of already went through. And the crowd at this point was dead silent because I think they were kind of confused as well. And Jay, I, I will say, I think Jay did too much pacing in this segment. I was legitimately getting kind of dizzy because the camera kept turning and turning and turning and turning because he was pacing the entire time. And I was like, I was like, why? I was like, why is Jay upset about this stuff from years ago? We already know about. I'm kind of confused. And then at the end, you get it. Then you go. Then you realize it was all a ruse. He was not actually upset about it. I'm out too. Boom. Oh, I get it now. Oh shit. Here we go. Boom, boom, boom. It's so, like, it totally worked in the end. Just in the moment, the buildup was confusing to me. But then it was kind of, I think, supposed to be that way with the way because Jay wasn't actually upset about that in the end. And that's why he kicked him and, and all that kind of stuff. So loved it at the end. Huge pop from me. Uh, the photos were great. Roman sold it great. Paul Heyman sold it great. Everything worked there. Uh, Cole saying at 2J is a reference to Brutus stabbing Caesar in the Shakespeare play. The only thing to me is that it's French. It's supposed to be A2, like "and you," Right. Brutus, brute you know, as it kind of played out. But that's a great still, a great pull from Cole. Everything worked there. They've set up Bloodline, Civil War uh, type stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And this was, yeah, you talk about Sammy turning. You talk about uh, what happened uh, at, at the other shows. Backlash, uh, not Backlash, uh, Elimination Chamber, WrestleMania, you've got all this stuff. And this is just another big moment on top of so many big moments in the storyline. Great stuff.
0: What's amazing, Chris, is every time we think this storyline has peaked, something else transpires that makes us rethink everything that preceded it. Like this title reign, we're never going to see anything like this again. This storyline, the raw emotion, the references to mental and physical abuse, the family dynamics, the childhood trauma. I sound like a broken record, but it's true. It's the greatest storyline in the history of professional wrestling. And you know what? There was a while where like, there was an argument to be had. I I don't think it's close anymore. It was. You could have made a case for Mega Powers Explode or The Undertaker and Kane or Stone Cold Steve Austin and, and Mr. McMahon. Everyone has their preferences. But looking at this objectively, what else has achieved this many quality dramatic Moments. We're talking about storytelling, not just action in the ring or moments made to pop fans. The number of quality matches that we've had throughout this entire thing. This depth of storyline and character. This many consistent, enormous reactions from fans of various types and various venues for various reasons. And done it over three years. As far as I'm concerned, just... Nothing compares to this anymore. It's in a category onto itself. And perhaps best of all, we have no idea when it's ending or perhaps to some degree, if it is ever going to end.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing we kept saying going into WrestleMania, like greatest storyline of all time, but we got to see how they land the plane here. Well, they haven't landed the plane yet and we don't know when or how, or if they're going to. So like I'm still there. I'm still at. This is probably the greatest storyline of all time, but we won't fully be able to say that until Roman loses the title, and we don't know when that's going to happen. But uh, it continues to be. I- I'll say this as well. Where things are right now, I think you could tell a lot of this same story if Roman had lost to Cody, like. Roman's yeah. doing another tag team match at another pay-per-view here. We've got bloodline civil war. Like I I feel like this could still be a great, and this kind of goes back to should Roman have lost to Cody or not. And I still kind of feel so. And I think the fact that the story is continuing on very strongly ha, with having nothing to do with the title only furthers my belief that, yeah, he probably should have lost the title. And I don't think he would have lost anything if that had been the case, but you know, this thing is still going and it's good. That
0: that just depends. I, I say this all the time and I agree with you. Like anyone who believes that Roman reigns should have lost the undisputed WWE universal championship to Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania and still believes that today, I will never tell you that you're wrong. It's a legitimate opinion to have. Totally. For me, I am not going to come to that conclusion until we see how this ends and how he drops the title. If it's better or as good, then they got longer runway out of it told a number of great stories we've had a number of crazy moments that we're excited about and perhaps it's going to be a genius move that they didn't change the title at Wrestlemania 39 or when they ultimately change the title we'll look back on it and say yeah that was a missed opportunity they should have made Cody at 39 and they could have done this all anyway we're not going to know until it's over that's really the key and that's also what I want to talk about next so Aaron at Lions Heat Yanks which I know Aaron you've explained that name, but it <laughs> every single time I see it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. He says, is there any part of either of you guys that's starting to believe Jay could dethrone Roman? If Cody beats anyone other than Roman, does that cheapen him, quote, finishing the story too much? As someone who's always wanted it to be Jay, I'm starting to believe that he's been elevated by this story enough to be the guy. And the bloodline story is at its best when it's confined within the bloodline. He said, and I'm counting Sammy as in the bloodline. I wanted to end with Jade dethroning him, and the final nail to be Heyman and Solo turning on Reigns. So let's take Aaron's DM, and I wanted to put his perspective out there. Let's book the damn territory going forward. Now that we've had another key moment in this storyline, I would be remiss not to mention that WWE posted a great post SmackDown segment on social media. We retweeted it, so if you want to go into our feed at Getting Overcast, you can watch it. You can even pause the show and watch it before listening to this, but the long and short of it is Reigns was sitting in the ring in utter disbelief as fans chanted, you deserve it at him. And it looked to me like he was facing his own mortality as champion and maybe even tribal chief for the first time, like realizing in that moment that what he has built has completely crumbled around him. Now the question is going to be what booking direction WWE goes. Reigns will either come to the realization That his downfall is his own doing, his own megalomaniacal actions, his own abuse, or he won't. And that won't happen until later. I don't think it happens quite yet. Chances are, when he eventually does come to those realizations, that's gonna be part of the eventual baby face turn. And that is the moment that is awaiting for us at the end of all this, once this is in the rear view. And I don't think that can happen until he loses everything and has that moment like Thanos. What did it cost? everything. So to get to that point, though, and we've said this a few times now, it's really always been Jay. The story arc of the entire bloodline, it germinated from Rain's gaslighting of his cousin and abuse of his cousin. Jay, though, doesn't have to win the title off Roman for the final act of this book, let's say, to end with him. He just has to be the one to extinguish the tribal chief. The question is when and how that happens. I've always believed that Cody Rhodes will take the titles off Reigns, with Jay putting the final nail in the coffin, maybe even in an I quit match to go full circle. I figured that would happen at WrestleMania, Cody winning, and then perhaps backlash with Jay ending it right after that. But running this bloodline Civil War tag team match now, by the way, that's what was booked for Money in the Bank. I forgot to mention that. Great poster. Great poster. Uh, And they're using the white and black, you know, uh, shirts and and look to kind of differentiate the yin and yang between them. But they're going to run this match at Money in the Bank, which is a huge show in London. And they're doing it one month ahead of SummerSlam, which for WWE is their second biggest show of the year. I find that to be curious timing, especially with the show after SummerSlam now being called Payback, and it's going to be in Pittsburgh. I can't imagine them ending this act. And I keep saying it that way because... I don't know that this will ever completely end, as I said. I can see it really stretching the remainder of their careers in different forms. But I can't imagine them ending this anywhere other than at and around WrestleMania. Like Maybe I'm wrong, and this is actually culminating in July and August, and September. I just don't know. The bloodline breaking up at this time only leaves so many pathways going forward. And for someone to take the titles off Roman, if it's not J., it would have to be either a Money in the Bank cash-in or someone on SmackDown. Cody isn't on SmackDown. There's no one else that has been built into a position where it would make any sense for them to beat Roman soon. So that leaves me thinking that this is still going to get dragged out all the way to WrestleMania, but that's like eight months away. And I don't know how they get us from now to then when the bloodline has broken up in June.
1: Yeah, I I still think... It'll be Cody beats Roman at WrestleMania 40. The whole thing is Cody kayfabe had not gone through enough trials and tribulations in the WWE world. So now he's going to go through that this year win the title next year, if like Cody's your guy, like he's clearly your next guy. You have to, he has to be the one to dethrone Roman Reigns. My question now is, are we doing Roman J at SummerSlam? Which I would love and think would be a great story. I'm just kind of surprised if they would put Jey Uso in a SummerSlam main event match. Between those eight months, I'm not exactly sure how it goes. But you're right, when Roman turns face, and it's going to happen at some point, he is going to be the most face in the company. He will be bigger than Cody Rhodes as a face when that happens. Mm-hmm. And so... Talking post WrestleMania next year, I've got long term book here of everybody has turned against Roman Reigns at some point and he has lost the belt now and he's got nothing. And at some point down the road after that, the Usos, maybe with Solo, are getting beat up by some group of people Mm -hmm. in in their their faces. And here comes Roman Reigns to save them and the bloodlines back together, but they're a face group this time mm-hmm. and, it, and they're going to be just massive. Like I'm talking like year, year and a half like that happening. I think that'd be a really cool place to go, but I don't know. Right. After civil war tag team match after potential Roman J match, I'm not sure where the bloodline goes between then and WrestleMania. Um, but I have faith that they'll figure out something because they figured it out for three years. So, like, yeah. they kind of deserve that benefit of the doubt.
0: They do. No, they totally do. I just remain surprised. Like, if if coming out of WrestleMania, you said, okay, Chris and Adam, at some point in the next 12 months, the bloodline is going to break up. I would not have guessed it would be June. I would have said, oh, okay, right. you're talking about November, December. You know? Like, like, right before the road to WrestleMania begins. So the fact that they're doing it in June is wild. And, again, it's just... It's not that there's not names over on the SmackDown side that can challenge for the title. There are, but there's zero storyline for anybody right now. Roman, you know, I I didn't mention this, and I didn't even have it in the notes to, to talk about. He will not be defending the undisputed WWE Universal Championship even a single time between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. And I think it's fair to assume he will defend it at SummerSlam. But as of right now, we don't know that he's going to. Like, we just don't. Mm -hmm. So it's crazy. I mean, you know, building up to the 1000 number. I don't find it to be that artificial. Yeah, there were months where he didn't defend it and periods of time where he took off and all that, but he did defend regularly and there were constant storylines for the title. But these last, I mean, what is it? April, May, two and a half months. And we're going to we're going to be going all the way into August, beginning of August. So. April, May, June, July, four months. This guy will not defend the top title in the company. That's a third of the year. It's utterly ridiculous. Now, Again, the storyline they're telling is great. I'm not saying I would trade it for title defenses against Montez Ford and Bobby Lashley and whoever else. I'm simply saying that it better work like they're like there better well, be it, a reason they're doing it this way and not having this guy defend the title in this long of a period of time.
1: It doesn't need the title. That's what I'm saying. And it, what I'm saying. It, so, so what yeah. transpires afterward when he does lose the title
0: needs to make sense, because right now yeah. it gives credence to all the people who said Cody should have won at 39 because Correct. for what's happening now to go down, he doesn't need to have the title. But it, yeah. it, it's going to depend what transpires after this.
1: And it just makes you wonder, like, was this the whole plan all along? And because the Endeavor deal was happening, Vince changed his mind and had Roman win, I, I, I you know, a week or two beforehand. I, I don't know, but you're right. It does kind of lead to that theory because you could be doing everything the same, basically. Right. So
0: we'll see. All right. Well, that was a lot of time spent on the Bloodline. I'm glad we did it. I hope everyone enjoyed. We have a lot of show left, as always. So allow us to get to it right now with our second segment. You know it, you love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jesus time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right. Now, actually, before we get into the good, the bad and the ugly, we never do this. OK, but we literally had another getting overhead. Subscribe on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over in the middle of taping the show. So, Jet, uh, congratulations and thank you, I should say, more uh, for joining us. And he said, I'm only here for Silver King's L.A. Night Slander L.M.A.O. So I've, get to L.A. Night in a bit. Chris, you I've can got do-
1: an L.A. I've got an L.A. Night take from somebody else that I think is pretty good. We'll get oh. to that.
0: We'll get to all that later, but for right now, a little bonus acknowledgement for Jet Welcome as the latest Getting Overhead. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement Acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. That alert literally popped up as the song was playing for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. All right, we got a lot to talk about across uh, SmackDown and Raw. Let's get to it right now. Seth Rollins opened Raw, entering for his World Heavyweight Championship Open Challenge. However, Finn Balor attacked him from behind during the spotlight pose in the ring. So I guess that's either fully back or they brought it back just because of this. Balor beat Rollins' ass outside until Jason Jordan and WWE officials pulled him off, only for Balor to turn away from Jordan and jump off the steel steps for a sick coup de gras at ringside. Then he added another coup de gras off the announce table. And as it looked like they finally pulled him away and where he was going to the back, he ran around the ring for a third coup de grace a second time off the steel steps. Backstage after the break, Balor found Rollins and absolutely destroyed him again. He kicked him in the gut, threw him into some tables, tossed him into a road case, and then he trash talked about waiting seven years for a revenge and regaining the world title. Balor later cut a promo saying the open challenge was canceled because he is the only one who's gonna take the title from Rollins. Then he said the fans can sing Rollins theme at his funeral. This was hot as hell. Balor has needed moments like these to up his profile for the main event scene. And he looked and sounded phenomenal here. It was smart to do the storyline this way on Monday to add to the intensity that we ultimately failed to get last week due to the crowd overpowering the confrontation. And yet they also addressed that in the third segment that I just mentioned. If you want Balor in the main event and he's a heel, this is what you're going to get. A take no prisoners Shit heel with no regard for his opponents. I absolutely loved this. It's the first time in a long time where you remembered Finn Balor has it. it. And this was an easy good.
1: You were absolutely right. Every week. Absolutely great stuff from Finn. You know, we wondered last week, hey, after he got drowned out by people singing the song, are they going to go back to that or are they going to do something else? Well, what they did was the perfect way to get around it by just straight up interrupting and starting a beatdown, Zero chance for the fans to start being able to sing. They're booing because they can't sing. It's properly brutal. I love the idea of a coup de grace out of nowhere, essentially. Like he can turn any situation into getting a coup de grace. That's pretty cool. Uh, Seth, you know, what Seth said later in the show, this is what I was waiting for. Like, great stuff. I'm fired up for this now. This is perfect. This is everything was good here. I still wonder if maybe on the go home, They'll go back to Finn trying to cut that promo about what Seth Mm -hmm. took from him and all that kind of stuff just to kind of have it for the promo package. But uh, this was great. I'm super excited about this. Hit every single right note. Great stuff.
0: So after the attack ended, the Miz came out saying he was ready to accept the Open Challenge in his hometown. They were in Cleveland. Instead, he issued his own Open Challenge. And Tommaso Ciampa answered, making his return to WWE after eight months sidelined by a hip injury. The reaction was decently strong. Miz was thrilled to see him because of their partnership when Champa left, but Champa walked into the ring and just slugged him in the face as the bell rang, and after a few minutes Champa hit fairytale ending to win and he got another pretty nice response after that. The fan reaction hit me in the feel spot because it was somehow better than all of the reactions he was getting when he first got called up. And Champa is fantastic. So it was heartening to see him get that kind of response. Also, Champa came back with his beard gray, not dyed black, and he entered to no one will survive his old NXT theme, which was awesome. I hope that's not a one week deal and they didn't use it just like for recognition purposes, but he's actually going to have it going forward. It was a good return. I think it's the second time in the last year that WWE has been in Cleveland where we all expected Johnny Gargano to return <laughs> only for it to be someone related to him. I think last time it was Dexter Loomis. And now it's Champa, and Johnny the last time returned in Canada, like the week afterward. So yeah. I loved it. I thought it was good.
1: Yeah. Good stuff. I think the fact that, it, you know, he is tied to Johnny Gargano probably helped that. Cause you're mm-hmm. right. I think the crowd probably thought it was going to be Johnny Gargano. You didn't get Johnny, but you got Champa. Oh, like cool. Love it. Good, good reaction. The no one will survive theme is a great theme. They went away from it because of the pandemic, understandably with the lyrics and everything. Um, my only thing was, I didn't think commentary sold this enough. Yeah. Their their reaction was very tepid. And then I think it was Graves said like, Hey, the Miz loves this because this was his old friend. So they did (laughs) it. They did say that, but there wasn't like a, Whoa, champ is back type stuff. What's he doing here? You know, type thing. And then, they get into the ring and the camera pans out so you can see the crowd. So you didn't get to really see. I think the Miz like put out his hand to shake his hand or something yeah. like that. Or was mm-hmm. smiling and Champa slugs him. But you only saw that from the panned far away camera angle. So you kind of miss the reaction in the moment. A couple of little things there that I think could have been better. But great to see him back. Great to see him kick ass. Great to see, the great to to have the old theme back. I assume he'll cut a promo next week or whatever, kind of about things, but, uh, everything here worked again, really good. Uh,
0: one other note. And you mentioned a promo Champa did cut a 80 second social media promo during raw that you should listen to. I did not retweet it. So you got to find it on WWE's page. Most notable though, is the end of it where he says, sometimes if you want something bad enough, you have to do it yourself. So another DIY reference. And yes, I do hope that Champa gets to speak uh, next week on raw, I can see them not doing it because it's going to be the go-home for Money in the Bank. And if that's the case, they may save it for two weeks. But we need Champa on the mic sooner than later in front of a live crowd. Now, continuing the Judgment Day promo that we referenced earlier where Balor spoke, Rhea Ripley guaranteed all four of them would be successful at Money in the Bank. Damian Priest talked about winning the contract and Cody Rhodes, keeping Dominic Mysterio's name out of his mouth. Dom got suffocated by booze, trash-talking Cody, and then challenging him to a six-man tag team match on Raw. He could barely get the words out. And he actually ended up flubbing the line. So Cody entered late in the first hour. For a kind of strange and rare interview on the stage, he put Judgment Day over. And then he accepted the challenge. Then an hour two, Balor and Priest shrugged when they were asked by Ripley if they were on the same page. They said their issue wasn't with each other. And then Akira Tozawa, (laughs) yes, I don't think you would have expected to hear Akira Tozawa's name mentioned in this group of people. He comes up and offers to be Cody's partner, and Cody, like, no-sold it, though he did praise Tozawa for his hair, which is similarly bleached blonde. Then Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, who got texted by Rhodes earlier in the show, we'll talk about all of that later, they came up agreeing to be his partners for the main event. First of all, going back to the Judgment Day promo, great crowd reaction for them. The environment surrounding the main of that main segment uh, judgment day, getting featured that strongly, all four of them getting massive heat, all of it made up for Dom messing up at the end. I also liked that they addressed the Balor pre stuff and they didn't just forget about it. They're continuing to tell that story. Then you had Tazawa's comedy, which I thought capped it off really nicely. Good stuff here. Just grouping this all together from top to bottom, a really nice way to build towards the main event for the people who's
1: Still, for some reason, think they're piping in booze for Dominic. I think it's pretty <laughs> clear he, that is not the case when he happening. is literally having to yell into the microphone <laughs> to try, to try to get through it. It's it's just it's wild, man. This is just it's continued and continued, and his heat is rubbing off on everybody else. Honestly, like mm-hmm. like other people are starting to get more of that because of of him, which is a wild thing to think about. You know, a year ago, uh, that was great. Cody doing the stage interview was. Ex- was weird it felt like hey i want to do an old dusty style promo in the wtbs studios or something back in the day Mm -hmm. but a few months ago or whatever wwe was doing these but it was like an elevated stage that like camera shot wise looked really good this was not that this was just walking out onto the stage like old nitro or whatever and cutting an interview that way I think it would have looked better the the previous way if he was like kind of up on an elevated platform or whatever. Um, But I'm also, I'm glad Cody still has the broken arm and the cast on it. Even if we're just kind of not acknowledging it anymore, at least he's still selling it because we said, you know, after the, after the Brock match, he has a broken arm. It just got broken even more. Let's not pretend this didn't happen. And so they're kind of, trying well, to thread the needle on that.
0: let me tell you let me tell you something about that so i forgot who sent this dm i'm very sorry i know one of you went out of your way to tell me this but i didn't have it prepared for the show i got a dm last week that showed me a clip from raw where i guess cody after his match he was backstage and he cut a quick promo he wasn't wearing the cast his arm was bare the entire time so it was off at some point last week they brought it back and as it should be but it doesn't change the fact chris that it makes zero sense for this guy to be wrestling with a broken arm. It was one thing for him to do it against Brock Lesnar in a loss where the arm actually cost him the match. But now he's wrestling. No one's concentrating on it. No one's trying to submit him with an arm bar or a wrist lock or, or anything like that. They're ignoring that it's there. He's not using it as a weapon because he's a babyface. But he's wrestling every week. He shouldn't be wrestling. It's one thing if he said, all right, you know What? Dom's pissing me off and I'm going to fight you at the pay-per-view because I'll gut it out. I have to beat your ass. But if that's the case, cool. You don't need to be wrestling every single week on TV with a broken arm. It's just nonsensical from a kayfabe standpoint that someone is injured and wrestling this frequently and not losing, by the way, with the exception of it being Brock
1: Lesnar. You know what this is like? This is like when DDP had the tape on his ribs for like a year or whatever like that. Like, I mean, <laughs> it was just, he had it, was like just <laughs> yeah, it was just part of his outfit. Maybe Cody just having a cast will be part of his thing yeah. for a while.
0: It's fru- it's really frustrating for me personally. So anyway, we had the main event, Cody KO and Sammy against judgment day, the fans, which by the way, Cleveland shout out to you play a insanely hot crowd on Monday. They chanted, Dom's a pussy early in the match. Now, if you want to bleep something, okay, USA Network, you can bleep that. Not holy shit at 10 o'clock at night, but I digress. These fans were on top of Dom. They were literally standing on their feet this entire match, cheering every time he took any move. Cody got the hot tag and only got stalled by Rhea Ripley on the apron. Same thing happened to Sammy. He decided to run straight at her. She dodged him. And he did a tope Con hero into Dom outside. Sammy intercepted 619 and hit Dom with a Huluva kick. Owens followed with a stunner. And Dom legitimately sold this like The Rock, taking the stunner from Stone Cold Steve Austin. Huge flop backwards into the air. It was awesome. Then Cody hit crossroads on Priest for the win to a straight up eruption from the fans, loud as hell. This was such an Attitude Era match in the best possible way. I mean, the wrestling here was... Way better than almost anything we actually got back then. But we got a six man match built throughout an entire show with three huge baby faces going up against the dominant heel faction. The crowd was absolutely wild for the faces. The stunner cell was great. All of it, attitude era. You could not have asked for a better closing to what I already told you I thought was a brilliant episode of Raw from start to finish. Four stars A minus for the match. I actually re watched the finish before bed and an easy, obvious, good as I could possibly give you.
1: Yeah, no, like like you know, if you're going to do a six man tag, you know, make it just make it a lot of fun, make a lot of stuff going on and 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 do it that way. And that's what we ultimately got. And I think it was it was a uh, who took the pin? Was it Priest took the pin?
0: Priest took the pin and Cody. Yeah. yeah.
1: That kind of that, I wasn't sure who was going to take the pin. I thought it might be Dominic, but you kind of don't want to pin Do- have Cody pin Dominic there because you've got the match coming up. So that, that that protected Dominic because Dominic's got the big match coming up. So everything made sense there, and yeah, crowd was great. Crowd was excited for it. Like you put your three biggest baby fa- like who were Cody going to get to be his tag team partners? Well, of course it was going to be Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn. <laughs> you would think Dominic would know that, but you put the three biggest baby faces together against the person who has the most heat maybe in the company right now in Dominic Mysterio and you you do a good, you do a good classic match. Like not every, not every closing segment has to be a J Uso turn or a title change or something. Uh, if you're going to do a six man and it doesn't have stakes necessarily, just make it fire. And that's what it was.
0: Yeah. I did actually consider to your point, like was it the right combination of people in the finish? And it was to your point, you can't have Balor lose. You can't have Cody lose. You can't have Dom lose ahead of fighting Cody. So it had to be priest KO, or Sammy. And once they decided the side they wanted to win, they said they wanted the baby faces to win. Then they said, okay, it needs to be priest. And that made all the sense in the world. Uh, so Ripley fought Natalia in a scheduled rematch from night of champions in gorilla position. Natty reiterated that the night of champions loss ruined her confidence, rocking her to her core. She said this was a second chance to prove that she still belongs. So Ripley just attacks her from behind, murks Natty at ringside, Before pulling her into the ring for Riptide, the bell never even rang. Ripley then screamed that the women's division is on lockdown and she's not going anywhere. Raquel Rodriguez was shown watching Ripley's destruction from Gorilla and talked mad trash about it in an interview. Then Rhea like overhears her. So Rodriguez basically said it all to her face and reiterated everything that she just said that she maybe did not hear. Now, Ripley beating the shit out of Natty like that was eons better then doing another two-minute match. She looked completely dominant. Natty gets to continue whatever storyline she's doing, and they proceeded it with Natty talking about that. So they kind of lobbed it up in the air, Ripley slammed it home, and they made sense of the attack going the way it did. The gorilla stuff I thought was great character building for Rodriguez that we simply have not gotten to this point. She was an incredible heel in NXT. And Chris, finally seeing some edge from her for the first mm-hmm. time on the main roster immediately made her that much more interesting. I love that confrontation. So this whole thing, I just thought it was good.
1: I am of the belief that there should be a promo cut before almost every wrestling match. Not like main event type stuff, but like most like non-main event wrestling matches. Just like they used to always do in the old days because they're telling you the story, catching you up and having you connect with somebody on a personal level before it happens. You have, and, and they could have just put Natty out there and said, Natty's not feeling up about herself. Show a clip of what she said last week. And then Rhea attacks, but instead they had her do it again. And it meant a lot more than when Rhea comes out and does what she does. That all worked. Great, great planning on that. And then and, and confronting Raquel Rodriguez backstage. What did I say last week? I said, there's just too much smiling going on with Raquel Rodriguez. Then, boom, you get a face-to-face confrontation. Someone who's a bit taller than Rhea, who is big in her own right, and you're like, "Whoa, this is like, this is this is like almost big, meaty men slapping meat type mm-hmm. situation face-off here." I'm excited for this. Whenever this happens, so everything about this—the planning, the execution—terrific stuff.
0: There's a lot of beef out here. So there is something else I need to quickly address here, which is just wild. Um, So during Ripley's entrance, okay, Corey Graves commented to Kevin Patrick, quote, I know you're a big fan, KP. I saw the picture you sent her on Instagram story. You were a big hit. Now, without context, that's just a throwaway line. But folks, let me tell you, this was right up there. With that line from the New Day rap battle with the Usos that Jay said, "Let's just keep it PG. You know what's good. Just don't go all rated R like your boy Xavier Woods." <laughs> Graves must have ultimate job security in WWE because let me just fill you in in case you missed what this was about. Okay, I missed
1: this. What I'm 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 worried what you're going to say here. Oh uh, yeah, it's,
0: it's 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 pretty interesting. Ah, uh, so the long and short of it is that Ripley all the time posts fan art to her social media. She does it on Twitter. She sure. does it on Instagram. So she did that this weekend to an Instagram story. Except what she posted and left up for too long, and one must assume she did it unknowingly. It was, okay, how do I <laughs> how do I keep this PG-13? Um, let's just kind of say, Chris, it was a different type of fan art Made with bodily fluids, if that makes sense. So <laughs> Corey Graves mentioning that on Raw live. Holy shit, dude. I, I couldn't believe it.
1: I I need to. I'm trying to figure out what this was. You, you, you've described it. Wait, what did it have to do with Kevin Patrick?
0: He was he was just using Kevin Patrick as a way to make this reference to this
1: thing that. Oh, OK, he listed okay Kevin I wasn't Kevin sure okay I wasn't leave. sure if Kevin Patrick no 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 it. no no it was a
0: fan it was a oh, okay okay it was you, got a got weird you. fan who sent her this and you don't want to go looking for it it's deleted obviously because it was sure disgusting. okay
1: I got you now no one. Well, you look, look, you don't want to go looking for it trust me Ri has you know gone up to the line with some of those explicit things before I mean less less no, we no, forget, no. like the Chris
0: this is this is
1: no I know I'm just okay. I don't, I I guess I don't know because I haven't seen it, but like, I'm just thinking back to the very beginning of the Dominic thing when she was choking out Dominic with her legs and she made some comments about that on on Twitter and whatever like that. So like, I don't know what it is, but for Corey Graves to say that to. All right, then I I feel like sometimes he says things that the people backstage don't get. So Chris, I'm not (laughs) going to say it. I'm not going to
0: say it on air, but if you're not catching what I'm throwing out here, I just sent you a little chat in our little feature here um maybe that explains it to you
1: yeah no that's what i figured it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i thought
0: you weren't understanding what i was trying to no I,
1: I like but like you're describing it like you just you know
0: i just can't believe you said it on tv i that that's all i'm saying it's just yeah, all, yeah yeah that's all uh anyway let's move on um so raquel rodriguez fought trish stratus in a money in the bank qualifier uh raquel was Super aggressive with Trish, but Stratus evened I don't know how do I move on from this. Uh, Stratus evened it by dodging her into the ring post and hitting a tornado DDT. Then Trish countered a buckle bomb into a hurricanrana and put in camel clutch that Rodriguez countered by swinging her around for a sidewalk slam. Raquelit snake eyes and a massive lariat plus a followaway slam. Zoe Sark interfered. That led Becky Lynch down to destroy her into the barricade. Trish then attacked Becky outside. So Lynch threw her into the barricade and that disqualified Rodriguez after seven minutes. Lynch was shocked. She was upset. Rodriguez was obviously angry as well. They argued, but it wasn't a heel turn or anything for Raquel. Becky later admitted that she screwed up in an interview. She didn't apologize to Raquel. I wanted her to do that in that moment. I screwed up Raquel. I am so sorry, but I promise blah, blah, blah. She didn't say sorry to Raquel, which was annoying, but she did promise to either win the briefcase or go out in a blaze of glory by costing Stratus and Stark their opportunity. So I loved everything about this segment. First of all, unsarcastic, thank you, Trish, because it is legitimately unbelievable to me that this woman is 47 years old and dare I say, putting forth some of the best in-ring work of her entire career. It is shocking to me. Clearly the yoga is working. Beyond that, Raquel looked dominant against the legend because Trish sold her ass off for Raquel. There was a nice story. The finish was super inventive to get Stratus into Money in the Bank without pinning Rodriguez. It also leaves Raquel to challenge Rhea for the title at SummerSlam, which seems to be the clear path there. My only problem was the lack of crowd response for Rodriguez. They should have legitimately been popping hard for her, but they just didn't seem to care. And it was one of the few moments all night they didn't seem to care. And that, Chris, goes back to what I always say. Raquel has not gotten consistent enough TV time either in the ring Or from a character standpoint. And that's just one example out of the entire women's division. It's situations like this where lack of ring time combined with her weak character. It just hurts everybody. Because this was supposed to be an elevation match for her as a legitimate opponent for Rhea going forward. Except all they had her do in the past is smile and flex her back muscles. And then Mm -hmm. wrestle short matches with the exception of the Ronda Rousey feud since she got called up. That's unrelated to the segment. What we got Monday was extremely good. I'm just disappointed at the fact that they weren't able to capitalize on it more. And yes, her feuding with Ripley is great because they were fantastic in NXT together.
1: It's yeah, it's mostly the character work. I mean, like when she came up, she did some promos and stuff like that. And you got that. The Ronda Rousey matches really good. They elevated her. She wins the tag titles with Liv, and they kind of got something going on there. And then it just ended. So like, There's just been no character work since then, so people just kind of don't know how to react necessarily. This match, that ragdoll shake, (laughs) that's like the best I've ever seen it done. Like, ever. Just throwing her around. I'm worried Trish's arms are going to come out of her socket. Like, that was just a wild spot that was extremely well done. And the ending was surprising, but kind of in a way that has you looking forward to what's coming next. So I'm optimistic about it. I, I think this, I'll, I'll say this, this money in the bank match shaping up to be a lot more interesting than the men's just based on who's in it. And so I'm excited about that.
0: There's tremendous star power in the women's match. It may be the most star filled women's money in the bank match yet. That's, there's no telling whether it'll be the best and from a wrestling standpoint or a booking standpoint, but you really can't argue with the people who are in this match. It's it's fantastic. Uh, Braun Breaker was backstage at Raw. Asked whether Rollins would show up on NXT, Braun sarcastically assumed that he wouldn't use Balor's attack as an excuse not to show up. Breaker promised to hurt Seth freaking Rollins really freaking bad, saying he'd be on Raw a lot more often going forward because he will be the new world heavyweight champion. Rollins later cut a cell phone promo from the hospital saying he got x-rays on his ribs, but he doesn't give a damn what doctors say he will be at NXT defending the title. He also put over Balor saying, welcome back to the guy that beat him seven years ago. Straight up, and I know many of you don't watch NXT, this was the single best promo of Braun Breaker's entire career. Succinct, to the point, believable, and well-delivered. It was also great that WWE brought him to Raw for the NXT promotion and had Rollins answer making sure fans knew he would be on NXT rather than leaving it open-ended. I would not be surprised if we also see Balor on NXT just because of what he did Monday. He basically said, You're not going to lose this title to anyone but me. So that's why he broke up the open challenge on Raw. You would Mm -hmm. expect that would mean he would interfere in some way, which would protect Breaker in NXT from not just losing straight up to Rollins, although losing to Rollins obviously is not a big deal. He's the world heavyweight champion. The only failure here was I wish they promoted Gold Rush more on the show. They didn't do that. But Breaker was awesome. Rollins, I loved what he did with his promo. This was good.
1: Definitely good. Very glad they promoted it had promos and everything already we said this last week we said why didn't they promote it more about nxt this is a much better way to do it Mm -hmm. and and to preview uh braun seth real quick i just keep thinking about back to early early days of nxt when nxt champion seth rollins fought wwe champion cm punk Mm mm-hmm And I think that's on, I think it's still on YouTube somewhere. You can find it, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. I love that they're doing this. It's going to be really fun and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Let me ask you this. You don't normally watch NXT and if you do, you don't watch it live. Are you going to watch NXT
1: tonight? Yes. I don't think I have anything going on Tuesday night. So my plan is to watch it live. Yeah.
0: And you're watching it because Rollins is going to be on there. Yes. Okay. So that's very curious. And I am very
1: uh, well, not. I mean, not that Ron's going to be there, but that this match is happening. Yeah,
0: that's what I mean. Yeah, so I'm yeah. very curious to see what the rating is going to be for NXT, given what they're doing. And Agreed. you're just one example of someone who is interested in NXT, but doesn't normally watch it because you have a lot of other stuff to do. But you are going to tune in for this on Tuesday. So, all right, uh, let's get to something from SmackDown for the first time in this segment. Uh, Bianca Belair was backstage. Uh, she asked Adam Pearce when she's getting her rematch. He said it's being talked about and he's working on it. I mean, this guy is a terrible... you know, matchmaker GM, whatever you want to call him at this point. Um, But he said she needs to be patient. So she was fed up and she said she would get it done her own way. That led to the Grayson Waller effect with Charlotte Flair. Waller talked some shit about Oscar with Flair agreeing that she has her number out came Belair with Flair refusing to apologize for jumping her in line because she didn't get a rematch from losing to Rhea Ripley. Bianca pointed out that she stayed after her loss while Charlotte hid for three months Flair mentioned her 14 title reigns. Belair mentioned her record. Bianca said that she'd be ringside for the title match because she's done playing and wants the winner. Then she dropped the mic. And my take on this was just Waller was not needed here. It's yet another situation where they kind of forced this segment only for him to not actually benefit from it. Unless you believe sitting in the background and kind of just rubbing shoulders with these people. Is giving him rub. I don't think it is. It didn't do anything for him with AJ Styles. And I don't think it did anything for him here with Charlotte Flair. Other than Waller, though, Flair and Belair delivered the expected storyline. It doesn't change what I said last week. The booking is immensely repetitive and frustrating, but at least Bianca is standing up for herself. She's showing backbone and edge. And because of that, I'm giving it good because we're getting character development. It's going to be interesting to see how the fans react when she gets involved in the title match and whether that leads to a heel turn, an edgy baby face, or whatever. The best case scenario for Makris would be Air against Flair at SummerSlam without a title on the line.
1: That may be it. I think we we wondered before if it's triple threat, because these two are taking up all the oxygen. We're not really thinking about Asuka mm-hmm. we're more I'm more interested in Bianca versus Charlotte than either one of them versus Oscar right now because that's the story they're telling and it's a match we haven't really seen before so or at least I don't know if they've ever fought at least way back might have been way back in NXT back in the day back in the you don't go here uh, era Grayson Waller it feels like they call them up and don't know what to do with him because like you said he's just being shoehorned into other storylines to like have communication, I think he's really talented, but to me, his best stuff on nXt wasn't the Grayson Waller effect. it was just him cutting promos. He's exactly. really good on the mic, but doing it via talk show is not really the way to to do it as much so i i he's got nothing really going on. I hope they figure out something, but I hope they don't just anchor him to this show that I know he's done for a little bit, but really show his abilities. We haven't seen that yet. I like that Bianca is standing up for herself. Both Bianca and Charlotte wearing those bodysuits out of nowhere on Monday had me saying hey now, but um, good stuff. It's just kind of a lot going on. It's uh, going to look good, but she's got me saying hey now.
0: Ray Mysterio hit the ring saying that reforming the LWO gives him pride. Then he welcomed Santos Escobar, who cut a brief dual language promo, thanking Ray for believing in him. He said he's fighting for Mysterio, his family, and anyone else who has a dream. LA Knight interrupted by shoving Rey only to get run out of the ring ahead of a scheduled match. So that led us to Escobar against the Knight. This started during commercial. We came back to a loudish LA Knight chant with the fans fully behind him. Knight got caught trying the same rope grab finish as last week with Escobar kicking his arm off and reversing the pinning combination for the win. Knight attacked after the bell and got a few boos until Ray made the save. You might not like this, but I'm going to do it anyways. This might surprise some of you. So I love Escobar, very much like LA Knight. Here's what we got, though. Less than three minutes of wrestling that we could watch, Knight losing, Knight being forced into a heel roll, despite clear fan sentiment otherwise, and no promo from him, despite the fact that he came out during a promo segment. Even the promo from Escobar was thrown away. So what actually did this segment accomplish? It was one of three matches on SmackDown that went five minutes or less, not counting multiple segments during the gauntlet match. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'm sorry, this was bad.
1: It's, it's bad relative to the expectations and what should be accomplished based on who's in it. At the beginning with Santos Escobar standing there, cutting a promo in Spanish and English, The way he looked, I went right back to what I thought the first time I saw this guy in NXT, which is this is a future star of the company. Absolutely. He's got everything you could ask for. And then L.A. Knight comes out to a bigger pop and gets more cheers during the match. And you're thinking, not yet. L.A. Knight is the guy right now who's got more fan reaction. This happens like every other week on SmackDown, where he'll come out for a match or something and not cut a promo. He should be cutting a promo every single time he's on television. That's his whole thing. We're not here to see him wrestle. We're here to see him say LA Knight. Imagine do having a claimed come do some out yes. and cast or not do a rap. It just, you don't do it. Right. I don't understand why. Like, I don't know if they were short on time. Or like, we got to get to the match. You can't do it or something. I don't know. It was just extremely weird. This has happened several times over the last couple of months. You have to have him talk. Now, and I don't like him losing, but him losing made me further think at the moment on Friday, oh, LA Knight's going to win money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Now, Do we want to talk about Raw or do you want me to get to my L.A. Night take
0: first? No, we're going to talk about Raw first and then we'll talk about L.A. Night as part of that. And then we'll talk about Logan Paul after. Okay, so let's go ahead and move to Raw. Logan Paul was sitting atop a ladder in the dark when Raw came back from commercial. He first got some cheap pops, then cheap hometown heat, talking shit about Cleveland and how it remains a city of losers ever since he left. He said he would bring winning back to Cleveland because he got a special exemption to enter the Money in the Bank ladder match. Ricochet then came out saying the only reason Logan got a spot in the match is because he made him go viral at the Royal Rumble. Shinsuke Nakamura followed with LA Knight breaking the roster split to absolutely tear down Logan on the mic. Escobar was next talking his talk with Butch storming down last without a microphone, appropriately just running into the ring and punching Paul right in the face and starting a brawl between all the contestants. Logan got him back with one punch, then hit a tope hero before climbing the ladder and grabbing the briefcase. Now, like I said, before we get into all of this with Logan, let's talk LA Knight. I want to play the audio of this promo before we talk about it. Yeah! Listen to this place! Let me talk to you. I look in this ring and I see Ricochet, I see Nakamura, and I see two guys who are as useless as basketball cleats. Then I look and I see a guy, he makes videos for 14-year-old girls and wants to call himself a megastar. No, no. There can be only one, but i tell you what, Logan Paul, I brought you a little gift. It's a map. If you follow this, you'll find the exact directions of where you can stick each and every one of those bottles of prime. Yeah. yeah! Because that case has my name on it with everybody saying. Yeah. yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. This was basically a 2000, 2001 rock promo 20 years later. The only way it could have been more rock is if he talked about shoving the Prime straight up his candy ass. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was so 2000 that LA Knight even printed MapQuest as part of the promo. (laughs) This was great stuff. And Chris, that crowd reaction, holy shit. That's 11,000 fans in Cleveland finishing a promo for a guy who has barely gotten TV time, at least in comparison to how popular he is. I know you had to be enthused about this on Monday night.
1: Yeah, I saw this and I was like, this is the guy. Like, how can you see what happened on Monday and not give him a promo on Friday? This happens every single time. And I know we like to joke that you don't like L.A. Knight. You do like L.A. Knight, especially in these situations when he has the face and when he's up against (laughs) Logan Paul, he's Uh an even bigger face. There was a a good three tweet thread from at tape machines on Twitter on Monday who I think kind of explains the journey that you took with LA Knight a bit. And this is, this is what he says. I was talking about LA Knight with a friend who does not watch WWE, but sees clips on Twitter and stuff. And his stance is, well, everybody understands he's just doing a lame rock Austin impression, right? This sucks. But the thing is, yeah, but somehow he gets around that everywhere he goes. It's impossible to explain in words why LA Knight works. Every stop he's had, I don't like him at first, and then he wins me over, and he gets over with the crowd every single time. And you will not get it if you only see him in clip form. Out of con- out of full context, it doesn't work. I know what he's doing. Everyone knows what he's doing. And in basic terms, in a vacuum, it is pretty lame. But you see him every week, and then in a month or so, you wind up going LOL. Fuck. And you're just on board for some reason. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's what it is. I think everyone's just kind of come around to him because of his charisma. I think that's kind of how it, it, it explained pretty well. And you see it and you're like, you kind of got to make this guy a face right now because he is so over. Make him a face.
0: I mean, <laughs> this was a baby face. He was out there talking shit to a heel in Logan Paul, which makes the booking Friday night, even that more confusing. Because they booked him fully as a heel. Now, you can just say, okay, Silver King, well, he's a tweener. And there's been plenty of tweeners in wrestling history. That's totally fair. Yes, that's what they're doing here. But nevertheless, it's unnecessary to do it. He shouldn't be in the ring against Santos Escobar, where, look, fans didn't boo Escobar. And credit to Santos for being popular enough where they didn't turn on him only to cheer LA Knight. But he should be in the ring with heels, or at least other tweeners, where they get to boo that other person and cheer him, and that's why this worked so well. Was Logan was the perfect foil for La Knight, and on top of that, they didn't even have Logan answer him because they let La mm-hmm. Knight shine in that moment. He went mm-hmm. out there, he talked his talk, he outshone everyone except, you know, credit to Logan Paul who had a great promo on top of the ladder. But in terms of the rest of the other wrestlers who walked out, Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura. Santos Escobar Butcher didn't speak at all. Guess who was the star? L.A. Knight. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. So look. Oh, so go ahead. So yes. So I we had wondered this last week. L.A. Knight seems like the most obvious guy to win Money in the Bank. That has now completely changed. Logan Paul is winning Money in the Bank.
0: It's well, done. Let's get to that in a moment. Okay. So <laughs> hold on. Hold your horses. Let's let's do a thirty second time. So look, L.A. and Butch, let's talk about the roster split first. Um, it was a blatant breaking of the roster split to have them come out. Now, oh yeah, there were decently fair explanations in kayfabe for all the other times it's happened with Paul Heyman and AJ Styles. But this was them literally ignoring it. Now, that doesn't mean it was bad or without reason, right? This was presumably Logan's only TV appearance before Money in the Bank. And you know WWE, they basically have to do this segment, where all the competitors are in the ring with a ladder before money in the bank. So I get the idea. I understand why they did it here. No harm, no foul. Logan was outstanding on the mic. Ricochet was actually decent, few Mm -hmm. stumbles, but better than most. And ending with Logan standing tall after the brawl was the right move. Now to your point, I have zero. Let me repeat zero issue with Logan being in this match in kayfabe. It's absurd that he didn't have to qualify like everyone else. In reality, the guy's a bigger star than anyone else in the match, which is important because it's a mid-card field and he's going to raise all of their profiles by getting more eyes on them and the match itself. This is actually the perfect usage of Logan, both in terms of his star power and stylistically. Now, we can ultimately make our predictions next week. And I said it that way because it will be an ultimate preview episode. I do think to your point, Chris, that Logan legitimately now is a top three, maybe top two favorite to win. But I don't necessarily know that he's going to. This was good, though, from top to bottom, start to finish. And he actually came out looking like pretty much a badass, both in the dark, cutting the promo on top of the ladder, and then at the end, standing tall.
1: Yo, he looked great. I've said this before. He's better at pro wrestling than anything else he does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Logan Paul was born to do this, so he cuts a great promo, he reacts with the crowd, he does a freaking, you know, jump off the top rope outside, basically lands on his feet. Uh, he's really good at this, and I'm okay also with him being put in the match because he's a heel, and that's like a heel thing to happen. People are going to boo him. I had an issue early on when, he, when they tried to put him in face rolls. No, let this guy get booed. He's He's an incredible heat magnet. So, uh, I, I I'm honestly fine with all that. I'm just I'm disappointed because I thought LA Knight was going to win, and now he's not going to win. There, there's Logan Paul winning Money in the Bank is like, I think one of the easiest calls we've ever seen. He's going to take it everywhere. He's going to have it on his show. He's going to call out Seth Rollins a bunch and say, you know, that he's going to win the Money of the Bank and cash in on Seth and something like that and start some feud for. SummerSlam or WrestleMania or something. I, I think I think it makes all the sense in the world to do it. I think it's a good idea. Um, so I 100% believe that Logan Paul is winning Money in the Bank.
0: I Again, we'll talk about it more in the Ultimate Preview. I'm just going to say I won't be angry if he does. That's probably the best way I can put it. I, I wouldn't book it that way if I had the pen, but I won't disagree with it if they have him win and far better for him to announce himself in the match this way, than do what they did with Austin theory where before the match rings, before the bell rings, they just bring out theory or a couple years ago where they didn't have a seventh competitor and Brock Lesnar just walked out and went in the ring and took the briefcase far better to do it this way and kind of tell you going in. Hey, look, you should be prepared that Logan Paul may win this match, right? Then do what they did where people were literally disappointed coming out of it. Now the Brock Lesnar, Money in the Bank briefcase reign ended up being great because he was hysterical with it. But we know the problems with Austin Theory, you know, last year. And here with Logan Paul, you know, you run into, Chris, the the risk, the question, the quandary of, okay, Logan Paul wins Money in the Bank, but does he actually win the World Heavyweight Championship? And that is definitely a conversation I want to save for our ultimate preview. We have a lot more still to talk about today. Uh, Following this entire segment... Uh, Nakamura fought Bronson Reed. The big man countered a triangle submission into a lager Bomb. He got distracted by Ricochet on commentary, so he attacked him. That led to Rick jumping on the apron, Shinsuke knocking him off via momentum as Bronson avoided Kinshasa. And then Reed took down Nakamura with Tsunami for the win. This has just been really smartly booked as an angle with Ricochet and Shinsuke getting in the Money in the Bank match, Bronson losing, but then getting featured in singles matches on TV and winning. So it increases like the in-brand animosity between Shinsuke and Ricochet, two baby faces, while completely upping the profile of Reed making him look dominant, even though he's not in the big match. Good all around, exactly the type of mid-card booking that ensures multiple folks get featured and have their profiles raised.
1: Yeah, look, I, it was surprising that they booked Money in the Bank, like booked all the matches so far out in advance. So what are you going to do then? You're going to make some storylines to go heading into the match. That's what you're doing with Nakamura and Ricochet and Reed. Wrestling's real solid. It's a you know it's a mid to low card feud, but it's it's another storyline you can throw into Money of in the Bank when it happens. I think it all makes sense. I, I, I give it a like good for that.
0: Uh, the Street Profits and Sheamus and Ridge Holland started the tag team gauntlet on SmackDown. That Chris had a unique twist with all of the teams watching from ringside rather than coming out and making their entrances. Angelo Dawkins got caught with a bro kick in three minutes with the Good Brothers. Next, Carl Anderson got caught with a bro kick. At- they're kind of celebrating a little bit in six minutes with LWO next. Ridge Holland hit Cruz del Toro with a new finisher that he had in a few minutes. Then Sheamus knocked Top Dollar's head off with a bro kick in 30 seconds. That left Pretty Deadly as the last team with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn watching backstage. There was good banter by Michael Cole and Wade Barrett with Wade dropping a Queen lyric for Pretty Deadly. Deadly screwed up on the apron, getting doubled up for 31 beats in a really good spot. Elton Prince blind tagged on a Celtic cross. Hitting a flying leg drop during a cover attempt for a huge upset victory over Sheamus and then becoming the new number one contenders. So, look, if you're going to do a gauntlet with six teams or six people, you simply need to allot more than 20 minutes to it. It should be 30, or you just don't even care about it. Really, it should be 45. We've seen gauntlets work extremely well in WWE. I think it was Rhea Ripley in one last year where she came out looking like an absolute star. There was one also with the men somewhat recently that was okay. This was not. The profits losing easily in three minutes was abhorrent. LWO didn't get enough time to show out. The finish was well executed. The right team won. The fans popped. But I'm judging the segment, not the booking. I, this was bad.
1: Yeah, no, the, the um, like you said, right team won. Promo at the end. But to only get this amount of time and to beat so many of those tag teams in a short amount of period of time. Really just hurts the division to go through so many teams so quickly. You, you, you gauntlet matches, we've had the one where Seth went, he wrestles for like an hour on the show one time. Like that's mm-hmm. what you kind of use those
0: for. That's the one I was doing rough. it. Yeah.
1: Doing this and doing it in tag team is tough. And so I'm giving it a bad as well. We got the right result, but the division was not helped by this. And that's an issue.
0: Absolutely. Uh, K.O. and Sammy entered after commercial asking why Deadly were still celebrating five minutes after the bell. That gave the heels a chance to insult the champions and finally deliver their signature phrases as they talked about becoming the new unified tag team champions. Zayn was surprised Owens hadn't lost his cool yet. So he went on a quick rant and they attacked with the heels scurrying away. So it was a good idea to give Deadly promo time after the win and also to add a little bit of storyline to the match beyond them just being number one contenders. I would bet good money that Kit Wilson screwed up saying unified champions, because that is certainly not how you announce something like that. So yes. either he meant undisputed or they are unifying it and he spoiled
1: it. I, I, I think he meant undisputed because every, we, every we've we seen the titles uh, defended before since they won them and they were always undisputed both titles, which I actually thought was a missed opportunity. It would have been a great spot for them to just say, we're going to work. This is going to be for the SmackDown titles. You mm-hmm. know, like this is, this is an opportunity to split them. I don't think they're doing it. I think he just misspoke. I think he meant undisputed instead of unified. Um, although I guess it's possible. I mean, they did technically kind of change the other titles and,
0: and they're unified. Women's do, I, titles also. They're
1: getting rid of Ron's. They're getting rid of Raw and SmackDown women's titles. I guess it would make sense to do that for SmackDown too, but either way, um, we still don't really kind of know when that's happening. I thought the promo back and forth was okay. It was solid. Um, so we'll see, I guess, on the belts.
0: One way or another, these are the next titles that will be getting changed and need to get changed. So either they it's really going to either it's gonna be the WWE Tag Team Champions and the World Tag Team Champions, or they're going to unify them and just do one set, which has worked out pretty well. The Usos for a while were on both shows. Now it's KO and Sammy on both shows. It's not that bad to actually do it this way. We'll see if that's what they decide to do or if they split them and do it that way. On Raw, KO and Sammy were set for an interview segment. When Byron Saxton asked about Jay's turn, Sammy started to answer when KO went off again. So Zayn finally confronted him about his anger problem, calling him a -a rageaholic. Owens disagreed, so Sammy made him a deal. If he doesn't have another outburst on the show, Sammy won't mention it again. But if he does, they need to do something about it. When KO walked away, Zayn apologized to Saxton and remarked that he's been dealing with KO for 20 years. Matt Riddle, Uh, later tested KO's patience, but KO kind of passed. Imperium did the same later with Owens in the midst of snapping when Sammy grabbed his phone and said they had something to handle. It was, of course, Cody asking them to be partners in the main event. We already talked about that earlier. It's so rare in wrestling, Chris, that you get character development during a title reign as opposed to before it or Mm -hmm. after it. This was, again, funny. It was obviously good. I had one problem. They didn't actually pay off the friendly stipulation that they made. Owens clearly snapped at Imperium, which means that he should be getting help based on what they talked about earlier in the show. But Zane didn't reference it. They never brought it up again. I think it's nice that they're doing a full angle with this rather than just having it be like a character tweak. But I was disappointed that we didn't get the resolution to the agreement that they made given they told that story so frequently over the show.
1: Well, yeah, that's, I'm not sure if it was just a one-off SmackDown funny storyline or if it's going to drag on. And if it's going to drag on, he should have not snapped for several weeks. Exactly. You know, until he snaps Um, or they're going to do anger management. Is that what team hell no was? Was it anger management they went to? Yeah. Uh, So maybe they, maybe they run one of those things back again.
0: Well, they went to Dr. Shelby and Alexa Bliss went to Dr. Shelby when she got the, whatever you want to call it. No, no.
1: Fiend no, she no, she didn't go to Dr. Shelby. Somebody else went to Dr. Shelby. She went to a different Alexa. doctor, though. No, Shelby did come back, but it wasn't the Alexa Bliss Bray Wyatt thing.
0: Oh, OK. Well, she went to a therapist. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Dr. Shelby. But Dr. Shelby was, yes, team hell no. That's where that kind of originated. Uh, so Riddle fought Ludwig Kaiser. Gunther distracted, letting Kaiser take out Riddle's knee on the apron and suplex him off it outside. Riddle came back with a fisherman suplex, fisherman's buster. Then he somehow caught Kaiser flying with a German suplex adding Bro Derek for the win. Gunther attacked and crushed Riddle's ankle to pretty strong heel heat from the crowd at the end. Riddle further sold the ankle limping backstage with the help of some trainers. This was an outstanding little match between these guys. 3.75 stars, b I thought. It was a great reminder how Kaiser can go on his own. Clear, good, and one must presume the Intercontinental title challenge comes soon. I also wouldn't be surprised if Riddle, let's say, gets some backup in London or afterward.
1: I like how Kaiser kind of has this role as when he teams up with Gunther, he wins. But when he's on his own, he usually loses. It kind of has him in that perfect, like first boss before the main boss type of character. where like, he's, he's not, he doesn't always lose, doesn't always win. He like just kind of fits in that role Mm -hmm. really well. Um, I just, because Imperium, I just want to say because Imperium is where Samantha Irvin always shines with the way she does her entrance, especially Ludwig Kaiser's intro. Wanted to plug your interview with yeah. Samantha Irvin on this feed.
0: Yeah, we'll have it Wednesday along with our NXT Gold Rush breakdown, and we'll give you the entire weekly schedule a little bit later in the show. Clearly, by the way, Gunther and Riddle is happening for the Intercontinental title. I have to assume that just gets bubbled up next week. Uh, Zelina Vega fought Io Sky in a brief angle from last week. Io stepped in front of Bailey to take a challenge from Zelina. A Bailey distraction cost Io a roll-up win. Uh, Sky started yelling at her through the ropes, allowing Vega to hit six one nine for the win in two plus minutes. I appreciated the storytelling here, but look, two minutes—it's an automatic bad for me. It just is, especially when you have two women who can actually go in the ring here, and they get nice responses too. Imagine the same finish coming after eight minutes of good work and a couple near falls. It's extremely frustrating and disrespectful for them not to be getting more time than this. This is crap. And also, damage control—they argued backstage. With Shotzi interrupting to talk shit before daring Bailey to put her spot on the line next week, EO accepted on Bailey's behalf in a good turn of events. So to separate match bad backstage segment good.
1: Agree on both points. Just there's, there's not enough time for people who deserve some time who have really actually Zelina Vega and Io Sky have been two of the more interesting women in the division recently. Mm-hmm. To only give them that much time disappointing. It's a jet. By the way, we promised we'd take a look at the women's money in the bank ahead of the ultimate preview,
0: but with Bailey's spot on the line, we're just going to save it for next week. AJ Styles and Mee Chin fought Carrying Cross and Scarlett. AJ hit Styles' clash clean on Cross, but Scarlett broke the fall by grabbing and then playing with his hair. He answered, I'm married, bitch. So she smacked him across the face. Cross caught Styles from behind with the cross jacket, pulling him into a front-facing cross hammer and then hitting a pump handle F5-style flatliner for the win in five minutes, Easily the best finisher crosses you so far in WWE. An excused loss for Styles via distraction. Can I get over the short runtime? I guess in this situation it's acceptable because Scarlett doesn't actually wrestle these days. So it was more story focused. They look great as a pair. I'll actually give it a good because they seem devious and cross. His rebuild has been going well as far as I'm concerned.
1: I was going to give it a light good as well, partially because I got the win. You know, this would have been a clear spot to give him a loss, but you give him a win that's needed. Meechin, you know, you can take losses or whatever. Pinning AJ Styles with some really cool finishing things has me intrigued. So, like, good.
0: Uh, Kaden Carter and Katana Chance fought Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. After the heels entrance, WWE ran a series of TikTok videos, half of which featured Chelsea being a full-on Karen at a restaurant, gym, stoplight. It was a riot. Really well done. This was one of the most generationally appropriate things that WWE has done in a long time. Now, mixing the storyline Chelsea TikToks with others that could have been in a normal wrestling fans feed it was just genius the match was apparently set up on raw talk last week the faces at the after party the assisted elevated 450 for the win in 2 minutes you guys know i love the kcs i love this gimmick chelsea's doing and clearly love the tiktok vignette the right team won chelsea got her character developed so much positive stuff except a 2 minute match two fucking minutes no one is getting over in front of a live crowd in two minutes, you couldn't get over. It. How does WWE still not understand this? All we're asking for is six minutes of wrestling. That's no time at all. Look good for the vignettes and for the winners of the match and featuring the KCs. But for the match itself, my hands are tied. It's a bad. I'm splitting the difference.
1: I'm actually going to go good because the wrestling kind of wasn't the point here. It was more the other stuff and the tick and, and and that all worked for me. My only other thing is I wish both of these teams would have a name. So few women's teams have names, especially Caden Carter and Katana Chance who have been together for a long time. Years. Uh, I don't understand why these, these tag teams don't have names.
0: Chelsea and Sonia Deville should be called the complaint department and Caden Carter and Katana Chance, you could pick any party-related name and it would work for them. It's, you're right, it's ridiculous. Uh, Alpha Academy fought Viking Raiders. Chad Gable coached up Maxine Dupree earlier in the day, teaching her how to do a vertical suplex to prepare for Valhalla. Otis impressively reversed a vertical suplex on Ivar. Then Gable hit a rolling neckbreaker exploder suplex on Eric. Maxine wound up hitting the vertical outside to a massive pop. But as Otis celebrated with her, Eric caught Gable with a really cool knee to the back of the head for the win. This was fun, man. Gable looked incredible. The Maxine pop was an absolute shock to me. And the entire segment was a blast. On top of that, we got storyline elements with Otis costing Gable by being distracted by Maxine. Super easy,
1: mm-hmm. good. Yeah, the Maxine stuff is working. You know, it's worked the last couple weeks good for sure. Only thing I'll say is that the entire vignette they did before the match, they cut it off right before the main point, right? As as uh, I think it was on purpose. Max, I don't think it was on purpose because last week we get the Twitter. We get the Twitter vignette and she hits the thing and then she does it in the match. This one, they give you this whole long vignette and then they just Cut to an entrance before she does it. That was, I don't think that was on purpose. I I felt like it was going along or whatever, and they felt like they had to jump to the match. Maybe, but maybe that's why her doing it in the match Mm -hmm. got the bigger pop because we didn't actually see it. So I I agree that it was.
0: was, Sorry, I agree it was a rough cut. I agree it was a rough cut, but I think it was purposeful to get that reaction. That's what I was getting at. Maybe. Uh, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin fought Indu Shur. Shelton caught Sangha on the ropes with a pumped knee at the bell. The faces combined for a flying blockbuster off the apron. The heels quickly came back in dominant form, hitting the assisted elevated elbow drop finisher for the win. It's a planned squash, so no issue with the time, but it's unfortunate that Cedric and Shelton are in a job or role right now, especially Cedric, who can legitimately put on bangers. I just don't really have a grade for this. It's like a marginal call. I'll say bad because Indu Shur, it's just not really working that well for me. They're not good enough in the ring. Ginder's promos aren't good enough. And him standing there silent, it just doesn't do anything.
1: I'm giving it a light bad for what you said, but basically, like there's things you can tweak. Gender should cut promos, and they should use ginder's old theme. Mm-hmm. Like that theme was a banger. Go back to that. Just keep it going. They mentioned that Ginder was a former champion. That's important. But um I feel like like half of the presentation is there. There's just like a couple tweaks they can make to where it would work a lot better.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now folks, we are going to skip our third segment this week, the last word candidly. Didn't really get any questions. We had some old ones, but I didn't want to repurpose those. So don't forget to DM us on Twitter at Getting Overcast or email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com with your last word questions. But also really beyond that, the real reason is both of us are busy. We had a lot of time. We had to do a short, shorter show today, cut it off as quickly as we could. But we will be back with the last word next week for the WWE Money in the Bank Ultimate Preview as long as you all send in those questions again on Twitter at Getting Overcast, You can DM or tweet or email gettingoverpod at gmail.com. In terms of what's coming up here on Getting Over, on Wednesday, Chris previewed it earlier, the Silver King sits down one-on-one for an exclusive interview with WWE ring announcer Samantha Irvin. I promise you, you do not want to miss that. We will also give you a full breakdown from night one of NXT Gold Rush. Of course, night two will be next week. On Thursday, we'll be back with our third episode of the week, AEW Forbidden Door ultimate preview. We already did the AEW Collision Instant Reaction. It's in the podcast feed. If you missed it, go listen to our conversation on the return of CM Punk. And then Sunday, as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air, we will have an AEW Forbidden Door Instant Reaction. One week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. Next Tuesday, your WWE Money in the Bank ultimate preview. You, of course, are not going to want to miss that. Folks, on the way out, a bunch of reminders first that this podcast is all about DeFi. So don't forget to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can leave a five-star rating and comments on individual episodes. Let everyone know how much you love the show. We would greatly appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number... Five. Like the four folks we already mentioned on today's show, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash over for $5 a month. Become an official Getting Overhead. You support the show. You get a shout out on the show. If you have last word questions and you give them to us there, I can almost guarantee they're going to get on. But you also get bonus audio and news posts. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash over. Support the Silver King and vintage Chris Benigno thank you all so much for joining us for this latest wwe edition of the getting over wrestling podcast we have so much coming up still this week it is time though for the silver king to sign off and leave you with just three final words bye for now